Well, good morning. It's good to see you here. Uh, on the back of your bulletins are the announcements. Uh, we will be having lunch together following this service, and there's plenty. So I hope you're planning on staying. I was expecting a few more that aren't here today. And so uh, I don't want to take all that chicken home with me. So I hope you'll plan to stay and, and have lunch with us. And then this afternoon, around 1.45, we'll, we'll meet together, especially around the Lord's table. So keep that in mind. Wednesday, we have prayer meeting at 7 o'clock. We are on Zoom. I've been doing that primarily because so many of you drive in from such distances that you find it a bit more convenient to do that. So 7 o'clock on Wednesday, Zoom. You'll see then also that we're hoping to start Sunday school again on September the 12th. And so if you're able and willing to help with that, please see me as we begin to make arrangements as to what that might look like. But we're hoping to begin September 12th, so 9.45 will be the starting date once Sunday school begins as well. Then you see the other announcements that are there in your bulletin, so as they apply to you, uh, please take heed to them. We're delighted to have the Gaskills with us this morning. They're from our sister church there in, Pro in Toledo, Ohio, the Providence Reformed Baptist Church. Uh, John graciously agreed to come and minister the Word of God to you this morning. My schedule this week was very much interrupted with various things going on, and so I felt it was best instead of trying to feed you something. I, I told somebody I was afraid I would feed you something that would give you indigestion the way my week was going, and I didn't want to do that, and John graciously agreed to come, and we appreciate that. Well, now as we give ourselves to the worship of our God, the familiar psalm, Psalm 130, Verses 3 and 4 says this, If you should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? If we stood before the bench of Almighty God based upon our works, which one of us would be able to stand? That's a sobering question for us to consider. But blessed be God, the psalmist goes on. And he has what Mr. Spurgeon called the blessed but. So we have, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, oh Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you might be feared. That you might be one that we stand in awe in the presence of. Anyone who has known their sins to be pardoned should should be the ones that fear God most. A desire to please Him in all that we do. And we desire that here this morning. So would you just take a moment to prepare your hearts to worship God, asking Him to draw near to us and to use this time to do us good.
There are some things that we should find very refreshing and very encouraging and leads us to great joy. And one of those things is brethren who dwell together in unity, brethren who love each other. And inside your bulletin is Psalm 133 for our call to worship in which we are reminded of that reality. And here we're reminded of the refreshment, of the joy, of the blessing of knowing and loving and being with God's people. Will you stand with me and let us call one another to worship with this responsive reading. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the dew of Hiram coming down the mountains of Zion. Now let us take the hymns of grace hymn book, the hymns of grace, turning together to number 37, number 37, how great are God's majestic name. I think this is the first time that we've sung this. But it's a very familiar tune, so I'll have Rachel play it through, and then we shall sing it together about the great, majestic name of our God. Number 37 in Hymns of Grace.
Please remain standing for opening prayer. Lord, how great and majestic is your name. How your glory fills the earth. And how eternal, Lord God, you are. But yet, the eternal God loves us. You keep us in your mind constantly. You uphold us by your word. And you look on us in mercy. Lord, without your mercy, we would fall completely. Only by your hand are we held up. Lord, we come to you today to praise your holy name, your majestic name that fills the earth. And Lord, we ask that you would be with us today, that your glory would show, you would show us your glory, that you would see you in all your power. As we read your word and as we study it, and as we learn more about you, that we would see your majestic name, your power and your glory, how you uphold everything by your hand. Lord, thank you for drawing us here together, and thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whom you have shown mercy to us and rescued us from our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now take the Trinity hymn book and turn to number 505. 505, all the way, my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? 505. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation 8, Revelation chapter 8. 
And as I read through this earlier this week, I, I always have the same dilemma whenever I read scripture to you. I read the chapter and I have this flood of stuff coming to my mind of all these things I want to say about it. And I have to whittle it down to something that fits into one or two minutes so that I don't get asked not to do this again. And here it's even more troubling because I read through this and I start studying it and I start looking into all these symbols and all these things that are going on and I learn all this stuff and then I want to bring it all to you, but I can't. So um, what I have to do is pick out something, some, something I can give you in a short amount of time that will help you understand what's going on in these chapters of Revelation. Now here in chapter 8, this is where we start the sanctions. This is where we start to see God's judgment coming. And as we see God's judgment, we need to think about what's going on. So there's a story here that's being told. But as you read through this, I don't want you to get lost in the narrative, just trying to understand who's going where and who's doing what. But don't also lose the imagery that's going on here, the symbolism that's here in the story. So what I'd like to do here is I'm going to take just a few seconds, briefly as I can, and I want you to see just some of the symbolism, some of the imagery from both Old Testament and some from New Testament that are here in these chapters that you might miss otherwise. Okay, so very briefly here, we'll just cover just a few, a, a first of the few chapters. And then as we go through this, and as other people are reading it, hopefully you'll see this imagery and these symbols that are coming up. And you'll start to think about what these things are and what they mean. Okay, so verse 1. When the Lamb... Okay, wait i got to stop already. The lamb, right? There's a symbol there. Now, that one's easy. We all know what that is, right? I don't have to explain to you who the lamb of God is. We all know. But there's a reason. It's not just told, and Jesus, or the Christ. They give us a symbol, the lamb. Right? What's that mean? And, he, and we keep going on. Okay, the lamb broke the seventh seal. Okay, well, what's the seal? Why is the seal there? Where else do we see seals in the Old Testament? Do we see seals in the New Testament? Things to think about. I can't spend all my time. Sorry, I was explaining to you. <laughs> I can't spend all the time here. But um, And then there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I'll come back to that part here in a second. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Okay, where else in Scripture do we see? Seven angels with seven trumpets. And actually the word there for angels is messengers. So this is literally translated as seven messengers from God with seven trumpets. Do we see that in other places in Scripture? Seven messengers from God with seven trumpets. Well, the first place I thought about that is in Joshua 6. They marched around with seven trumpets. They blew the trumpets, and what happened? And the walls came tumbling down. Right? So here we see these imagery of Old Testament events, other things that have happened. And all these symbols should bring to your mind what these are. What other things have happened that have the same imagery and the same symbols, okay? And another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, that he might add it to the prayers of the saints, on the golden, golden altar, which was before the throne. So we have incense, the golden altar, and a throne. What is this picture? What's going on here? This is Old Testament worship, Correct. What was incense? And there was burning of incense. Remember in the Holy of Holies. This also goes back to the, the half an hour of silence. Was there a time in Old Testament worship where there was a period of silence? Well, there was. 
So here we have much of the Old Testament imagery that the people this was written to immediately understand. We have Old Testament worship. This is the setting for what this is. Does it start to make sense? Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were peals of thunder and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Well, where else in God's word do we see thunder, lightning, and earthquakes? Well, Exodus, that bring to mind God on a mountain? There was thunder, a lightning, and the mountain shook, is what the God's word said. There was an earthquake. So we have all these symbols, and we have this imagery coming in. Don't get so lost in the narrative of trying to understand who's doing what and where they're going and how they're doing it and lose the fact that there's Old Testament imagery and even some from the New Testament, like the Lamb of God. I even thought about earthquake. Well, what was there an earthquake in the New Testament? What? What, ha- what was going on when that earthquake happened? Christ was being crucified and there was the earth shook. So that's about as much as I can give you in my limited amount of time. But those are the things to think about as we read through these chapters and you see these symbols come up. Think about, well, where else do we see these same, the same imagery, the same symbols, other places in Scripture? And that will help you understand what's going on here in Revelation. Okay. Revelation 8. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, with the prayers of the saints, went up before God out of the angel's hands. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds of flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. The first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of waters. The name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth, because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Says the word of the Lord. We seek our God together again in prayer. We want to pray especially for the Yulbergs who are there in Bolivia. Let us seek our God together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, again we give you thanks for the opportunity of coming together corporately to seek your face. 
We pray that many of us would know something of the Spirit that we read in Your Word. When we read, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. May we count it a delight to be able to gather together with the saints of God in Your house on Your day. And Father, how we pray that You would draw near to us. We pray that the Word of God and the Spirit of God would be at work in our midst. That, Father, we have come with hearts prepared to give you the worship that is your due to exalt your great name in our time together. Father, we would pray for the advancement of your kingdom not only here but around the world. How we would pray this morning that you would be with those who are in faraway places, who are seeking to share the gospel with others. We do thank you for the Yulbergs. Thank you for their willingness to leave their homeland, to leave their family, to go to a new culture, and Father, to give themselves in the spread of the gospel. We thank you for the opportunity that you've given them in recent days with regard to discipleship. We thank You for those who desire to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. and Pray that You would bless their their meeting together with the saints. Father, we pray that You would give them wisdom and direction even with regard to starting an adult worship service. Father, we pray that You'll continue to give Jeremy opportunities to open the Word of God May You, Father, give him wisdom and help, strength and courage. May there be a greater fear of God than there is of man as he opens the Word of God. Father, we would pray for others this morning. We we would pray for other brothers and sisters who are in the midst of calamity and and challenges and difficulties. We, We think of the brothers and sisters there in Haiti who are trying to pick up their lives after the recent earthquake. And Father, how we pray that those believers would be a testimony of Your grace even in the midst of calamity. We pray for our sister churches there in the Dominican Republic who are seeking to help them. We pray that You might bless their efforts to get in supplies. Father, we would be mindful also of our brothers and sisters there in the Middle East and especially in Afghanistan. Father, we pray that You would help them to stand even in the midst of fierce opposition. Give them courage. Give them hope and confidence. Father, we pray that You would be with families even in our own land this day that are experiencing real grief and sorrow over the death of loved ones. Father, we're we're thinking of those Soldiers, men and women who gave their life even this past week. Father, how we pray that You would be with our national leaders. We pray that You would be with our President and Vice President. Oh, Father, surround them with wise counselors. Help them in the midst of all this to recognize their dependence upon You for all things. Father, we pray that they would that even with the events that are transpiring in our day, that You would use this as an opportunity to bring our nation to humble ourselves and to seek Your face. 
We're a sinful nation. We have forsaken You and Your Word. And Father, how we pray that in the midst of deserving Your judgment and Your wrath, You'll have mercy upon us. Father, we pray that You would be with our brother as he opens the Word this morning. Use him. Draw near to us. Do us good, we pray, as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now before Mr. Gaskell comes to open the Word of God, take the Trinity Hymn Book once again, turning to Hymn 587. 587, when peace like a river attendeth, or like a river glorious is God's perfect peace over all victorious. It's a wonderful thing to have peace, to have peace with God, to have peace with one another in these days. 587. If you're able, please stand with me as we sing.
few years ago, I invited a former pastor to preach at my church, and upon my return, uh, I had at least half the congregation come and say, please don't invite him anymore. Suddenly, my 40 minutes paled in comparison to his, which was over an hour, and mine were devoid of the uh, slightly charismatic tinge he had to some of his. Why do I say that? I've been with y'all twice now, and apparently none of y'all warned your pastor, so uh, he invited me here again. I must say, though, that there was a bit of concern because... Um, what church waits till the summer to turn on the heat? Uh, if you're trying to shorten my sermon, well, uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. We are, we are living in a, a difficult age on many fronts. There are things that vex us merely as um, citizens of our country, There are dangers in the world around us. We find find ourselves oftentimes fearful for the future, maybe not even so much for, at least for those of us who are older, for our own future, but for the future of our children and our grandchildren. And, of course, that is something that the Christian faith has a word uh, to to speak to, and, and, and that is a good word. But one of the things that I find uh, most disconcerting is that as we pick up the newspaper to read or as we listen to the radio, the TV, about the, the things that are going on in our world, we find there are a lot of people who are very angry. Uh, we don't just disagree with each other anymore. We hate each other. I can't believe that they would think that way. What in the world's wrong with them? And... Uh, as a result, there is, there is much violence that is taking place. Uh, I think that even we as Christians can sometimes be caught up in that uh, atmosphere so that we pick up the newspaper and we are immediately angry. Uh, that, that is perhaps in some instances an appropriate response, but I, I would suggest to you that we as believers in Christ, there ought to be more on our minds than that because we have been given uh, commands from uh, our, our Lord himself that say we are to take a different route than the world does. We are to be those who make peace. We're to be peacemakers. Uh, in fact, in his Sermon on the Mount, perhaps the most famous sermon ever preached, he, he comes directly there at the very beginning when he's talking about those who are blessed, and of course he's speaking to you and I, those who have found Christ as Savior of our souls. We, we find a word about being blessed and it, it piques our interest because who doesn't want to be blessed by the Lord of the universe? Well... I'll make one thing clear from the very beginning. This is not an instruction manual today on how to be blessed. This is rather a description of one segment of our life that we are to uh, portray in public to the world about us because we are a blessed people. 
And yes, you are blessed. Whatever may be going on in your life, whatever illnesses may be a part of your life and that of your family, whatever dangers may await, whatever social problems we face as a people of God, let us know this, we are a blessed people. And our Lord has eight beatitudes to speak of those who are so blessed. And I I just want to look at one of those this morning, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Whatever translation of scripture you have, this will work because it's a very short passage and they're much the same. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Let us bow in prayer. Our Father, we want to be able to hear your voice this morning because there is turmoil in our land and in our heart. We need your direction so that we may be those lights in this very dark world that shows our new life is different from our old life. Let us learn what it means to be a peacemaker. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that you learn immediately as you turn to the Beatitudes is that God has a very different definition of what it means to be blessed than most people do. Most people say, are you blessed? And they mean, do you have good health? Do you have a nice bank account, a savings account built up somewhere? Are things good with you and your family? Is, is life going well for you? That's, that's what they mean. But you begin to look at the Sermon on the Mount and you realize that's not at all what our Lord was talking about. Who is the blessed? Well, it seems kind of odd because it is the poor, the mourners, the meek, the hungry. They are the ones that he says, you are the blessed. And, of course, each of those needs a a bit of uh, exposition to be able to understand but as we come down to the near the close of his Beatitudes, we read that passage about blessed are those who are peacemakers. You know, it was an important question because in the early days of the church, first from the Jews and then the Roman government, the church faced almost constant oppression. They were, they were not a well-liked people. And it was necessary for this word about being a peacemaker for it to come forth because, well, because it is the natural inclination of the sinful human heart to be able to strike out at those who oppress them. We don't want to be that way. That is not our first response to the oppressors who may come and tell us to close our church because there's too many people there or impose special regulations for church buildings that are different from those of other places, for instance, of business. We, we, might, we might get the feeling that what we need to do is just make somebody recognize how powerful we are by how violent we can be. Well, that, of course, is not the scriptural way. If you ever want a, a good exposition of the kind of man who can be a peacekeeper, uh, look back at Psalm 37. If you'll look there, and I, I'm not going to take the time to do it today, But David describes what is called there towards the end of that psalm, the man of peace. What what does the man of peace look like? Well, if you read through that psalm, you'll, and I just picked out a couple of things, he is the kind of man who does not fret over the schemes of evil men. That, That is easy to do. He is not the kind of man who envies those with power and possessions. 
Those are not the concerns that drive his life. He does not threaten revenge when he is wrong, but he has learned, as the Old Testament and the New Testament alike tell us, he leaves vengeance to God. God knows far better than you and I when that vengeance is needed, and we will leave such things to him. So read Psalm 37 as something of a commentary, so to speak, on what it means to be a man of peace or a peacemaker. What is this peace that we are speaking of? Well, the Old Testament word, I'm sure, is rather familiar to you. It is shalom. And the shalom that the Old Testament talks about extends not just inwardly, but outwardly. Because shalom was a blessing that involved the material realm as well as the spiritual. It is a word that speaks of wholeness and of well-being that includes man's physical well-being as well as spiritual Joseph's brothers told him, there was peace with your father. Remember his questioning, how's things going with dad? Well, there's peace with him. What what they, they meant by that was that all was well. He was healthy enough for a man of his age. Things were going conveniently well for him at that time. Zechariah speaks of something even a little bit more strange. He speaks of the peace of the seed and of what, what, what he mean, means by that is that the seed that was in the ground had good environment and thus the opportunity to be able to grow and thrive, produce the fruit that it was intended to. That, that is something of the peace that we are looking for when we look outside of our own hearts and their need for growth. It, it does include people's health, a concern for the environment we live in so that we can continue to flourish in our quiet lives as we seek to have an impact on the world around us. Remember, Paul tells tells us to pray for such a quiet life. But as Christians, we do recognize the spiritual dimension of the peace that we, we speak of here. The spiritual dimension becomes more pronounced among the Jewish people after the fall of Jerusalem. And, of course, you can imagine why. Their home is gone. The temple has been destroyed. Their way of worship is something that is a thing of the past now. And so they do tend to turn a little bit more inward. Even in the Old Testament we can see it, though, because in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, there is a picture of the physical well-being that's involved with peace. But he goes on in the very next two verses to talk about the results What is the purpose of the peace that God offers to us? Well, it is, again, that we may be able to live those lives he has created us to live. That means we can flourish spiritually as well as materially. Isaiah, we come more to the point when we read about the one who is the prince of peace. He is the one whose rule of peace will have no end. You know, it doesn't matter how great our country is. I can guarantee you if our Lord tarries long enough, this country will fail and it will fall just like everyone that has come before us because it is a human institution. There is only one kingdom that endures forever, and it is not one that we can make. It will never be established on earth until the king returns. And then we will, we will see the glory of that a kingdom of perfect righteousness and peace and live forever there with our Lord. 
Isaiah speaks of this time as the reign of the Prince of Peace, as a time of joy, of seeing great light, of having joy at the harvest time, to actually be able to see the fruits of your labors and enjoy them. That is, that is the kind of thing that is involved in that, again, that outward materialistic realm where we are to enjoy God's peace. Peacemaking, peacemaking then involves something beyond just making sure I have peace of mind. Peacemaking does involve our, our realm in the social environment we live in and thus in the political realm. Uh, it, it is necessary for us to understand that aspect of peacemaking so that we do not do as too many have and decide they will determine what it means to make peace and forget God's word. We live by God's word, and that is in the social and political realm as well as the spiritual. The pictures of the Messianic kingdom illustrate the peace that we work towards. There is a passage in Micah 4. I don't know if you've run across it before. But in there, he, he actually repeats the words of Isaiah. Some say Isaiah repeats his words. I, I don't know who came first. doesn't make any difference. It's the word of God inspired by the same author either way. And after he has talked about that coming kingdom and the glory of the church in, in, in that day, he, he adds this at the end of it. He says, each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree with no one to make them afraid. Now, there you go. If you're thinking in the political realm and the, the social realm that we live in, that is a good and godly thing for us to seek, for man to be able to sit under his own fig tree, enjoy the fruits of that tree that he has worked on for all those years that he planted it and tended to it to make sure that it grew. It is the peace that God desires that we should be able to enjoy what we have done in uh, later years. That picture that is given there, the peasant relaxing at noonday when it has become too hot to be out in the field working, is lying there under his own tree, enjoying the shade and perhaps a, a cooling breeze, and knowing that in the end, no one's going to come through and take what was his and make off with it. He is able to maintain the, the work that he has, the positions he has with honest toil. And this picture of peace, I think, ought to guide our thinking as we think about what are we looking for, not just for ourselves, not even for the church, but for our next-door neighbors. What are we looking for? These are the kind of things that we are to look for when we talk about making peace in the world. Working for justice in the political realm, well, that, that we realize does become somewhat more difficult because we are so confused by different messages that are coming from places other than the church today. We are getting messages that completely have abandoned any Christian principle, any biblical idea of justice to, prom to promote that which is actually unjust. And so it does make it more difficult for us. But let us remember those notions of things like freedom, of what is right and what is wrong, the idea of equality and justice itself. When we start talking, even in the political realm, we must say, stay scriptural there. 
We cannot afford to bend our knee to the ideas of the public at hand and say, well, that sounds close enough, that'll do. We, we seek, again, to, to live by God's word in every area of our life. And what that means is not just that we seek the right goals, but that we seek them the right way. We cannot be among those who say the ends are the, the, the means justify the ends. We can't do that. We not only have to shoot for the right thing, we've got to shoot for it in the right way. And, of course, that means in that loving righteous way that our our Lord himself did. But turning from that, we look for more, do we not? Because as believers, we are looking also at the spiritual realm. The spiritual nature of shalom makes Christian peacemaking unique. We are not like the world in what we seek because we begin with the fact that there can be no real lasting peace between neighbors without that peace of God that first enters into our heart. So we start somewhere other than human endeavor if we are to be true Christian peacemakers. Wars may be held in check. Some level of justice may be provided, but there can be no real peace when God is still an enemy. And you know what you were before you became a Christian, right? You were an enemy of God. And then he brought peace, reconciliation through Christ Jesus, and that all changed in that instant. Because we have answers no one else does, our work, whatever realm it is in, our work must emphasize those Christian ideals that guide us in what we do. Laws can never keep the powerful from oppressing the weak. There's no set of laws any nation has ever come up with, no matter how well intended they may be, that has ever kept those who have power and want to abuse it from doing just that. And, and we just live with that knowledge. We, we recognize that we are never going to bring the kingdom of God on earth by human endeavor. It just doesn't work again. When the king shows up, you'll know it is time for that perfect kingdom of peace and righteousness. Powerful weapons have never deterred the power hungry from seeking to conquer. Once they have that power, they want more of it, which means they want to control more people, which means they are going to do whatever it takes to be able to enforce their will on others' lives. And so we have... We have a Christian perspective that makes our approach to peacemaking a little bit different. Now, one of the things that I've, I've learned down through the years in trying to explain a concept is sometimes to say what it's not. To be able to say, okay, this is not what we want to do. This is not how we want to do it. And I want to look at for those just very quickly. Peacemaking, so say some, is strictly a matter of getting people saved. Well, it is not. Again, if you read the Old Testament and the dictates of our Lord in the New Testament, you will see that our lives as the people, the children of God, has an effect on how we deal with our neighbors. The Good Samaritan is but one example of the many that can be found throughout the New Testament. And so as as we think about what peacemaking means, it doesn't mean, hey, will you come to church and hear the gospel and get saved? 
and then maybe we'll do something for you? N no, we, we are a people. I, I just stop and think of all the miracles that Jesus did. You know that there were some who didn't care that it was Jesus who did it. They were just glad that they were healed. The, the, the ex example the example of the ten lepers, how many came back to give thanks to Jesus? One. Nine said, I'm good. Man, I'm healed and that's all I want. Yes, we will run into those people. In 30 years of pastoring a church and helping I don't know how many people with how many thousands of dollars, we never had one of them come and join our church. Not a one of them. Did that mean we stopped giving? No, it didn't. We continue to do that, but there is just, again, a recognition that there is more to what God means by being there for our neighbors than simply getting them saved. After all, as Paul uh, speaks, you'll, you'll remember that he, he talks, uh, trying to think of, no, it was James, wasn't it? Whoever it was is one of those guys that God led to say it. I'm pretty sure it's James. He said, go in peace, be warm, and be filled. He says, don't do that. That's not the way that we approach those who are in need. We, we come to them, of course, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's just a given. That's one of the things that makes us unique in how we approach peacemaking. But we also do provide with food and clothing and such when we need to. Number two, peacemaking is just a matter of dealing with social justice. Any of y'all heard that term lately, social justice? Any of you tired of hearing about social justice? Well, when we take the world's approach, yes, we do get tired of it. There is so much wrong with, with what is being taught that it is difficult to know where to even start. Too often a social, gust, uh, a social gospel centers the problem not in you and me and our neighbors, but it's society. Uh, it is the society that, that is sick and oppressive and keeps people down. It is society that causes our problems. I, I'm not sure where they're coming at from that because I think a society is made up of a bunch of people who are living close together. But nevertheless, until men see their own hearts as evil in God's sight, in need of spiritual healing, in fact, in need of spiritual life, they are never going to be able to be peacemakers like we are. Peace, peacekeeping or uh, peacemaking is, is one of those things that we need to stop and think about carefully in this age when we hear so much about justice. You'll remember Jeremiah in his day, there were false prophets who were always saying, peace, peace, all is at peace. All is well. Well, it wasn't well. But you see, in their eyes, what they meant was, I've got money that's supporting me. I've got a house to live in, a land in which we have our own ruler. Hey, I'm good with that. And they completely ignored the spiritual rot that finally brought God's judgment on the people of Israel. Well, again, we don't ignore it. We recognize that need for God's continued grace that we may find mercy and thus be able to continue to live in a land that has proven, at least to this point, to be one of the envies of the world. Thirdly, peacemaking 
some say, is primarily a matter of bringing peace of mind. You know, if, if I'm good, you know, I've kind of zoned out, I've been able to turn off the world around me, I've been able to seclude myself, and you know, I, I feel pretty good about life. Well, that's, that's not what we're looking at. Our goal is not to teach people to accept themselves as they are and just make the best of it. Our message is, you're not all right, but there is one who can make it right. There is one who can bring order and peace and joy to your heart when you have none at all. You see, the gospel does not free people from the restraints of God's law so that they can go out and live however they please and still say to themselves, yes, but I'm saved. I've got eternity wrapped up because I said one day long ago, Jesus is my Savior. Well, there, there is for us more necessary to find that peace that God speaks of that we are supposed to share with the world than just uttering a phrase or a prayer somewhere along the way. The peace that we offer comes through reconciliation with God, and that only through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And finally, number four, peacemaking means peace at any price. Uh, maybe you're not old enough or don't remember history. And by the way, I don't remember World War II. Uh, but there was a, a prime minister in England who essentially lived that way. He wasn't a prime minister. I forget what he was. Chamberlain. But um, his idea of peace meant doing whatever Germany asked, and things will turn out all right because they really are nice people at heart. They just need a little more land. Well, we, we, don't, we don't head that way. Let me make it clear. Without God's truth, there will never be shalom in our world. There will never be the kind of peace that we as God's people seek. By word and deed, Jesus taught the way to peace often rather than bringing the peace immediately that we want, often brings conflict. Remember he talked about mother against daughter, father against son. He says that's the way it is going to be sometimes when you are being Christian. And why does it produce conflict like that? Well, it's because the world loves lies. They love to hear those things that say everything's all right in your life and God just wants to make it better. Well, we... We as Christians know better than that. Uh, they, they believe in what is untrue, and they believe so to their own destruction. In dealing with the Pharisees, Jesus never resorted to compromise. If he lived the way some of our politicians do, and the way some of us may even tend towards, he would have said to the Pharisees, all right, look, we both believe in God, and that's, you know, that's pretty good, so... Let's just join forces and see how good we can make Israel. But he didn't do that, did he? He brought conflict. He brought the sword in, instead of peace by the preaching of the, of the good news. Peace on the terms that the world would hold to, well, that is no peace at all because it robs men of a, the only true source of peace we will ever know. And that is that peace of heart that comes when we know God is my Father because Jesus is my Savior. And that and that alone saves. 
There is a blessing that is attached to this description. It is one that sometimes we can overlook, for they shall be called sons of God. Does that really mean anything to you? Well, I'm sure if you've thought much about it, it does mean something to you, that you are a son of God, because what, whatever else we may know about our, our God, it is that he counts us as his children. The term son, of course, speaks of nature, of relationship, of dignity. We have dignity because we are the children of the one who is Lord of everything that is around us. President of the United States, what a small thing compared to our privilege of being children of God. We share in the very nature of the one who called us. That's, that's why we're called his sons is because he has imparted to us that righteousness that makes us like him. Now, not perfectly and not in every way, but we are like God our Father. And that, that in itself ought to be a matter of great uh, joy to us. And one of the corollaries of that, well, anyone who claims to be a son of God and yet who is always quarrelsome, always disruptive, he is always a, a man who seems to be making trouble and divisive even in the church of God. Well, we have a justifiable reason for wondering, are they really the sons of God? As a son, the peacemaker is bound to God in a very personal way. That is the other part of our great privilege. We are bound to God because he has chosen us. And he has chosen to enter into not just the relationship of Lord and servant, but of father and son. That, that is a, a great joy to us and a great comfort to us. But let me be clear again here. Why is it that God made peace with you? Was it because you uttered the words of that confession one day, Jesus is Lord? Well, I know you did that. But is that all that, that there is to it? No, it is not. And that is not why God loves you. It is not why he blesses you. It is not why you are a peacemaker. It is because of what he did. So if you're thinking, what I'm going to go with, I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to go start making peace in order that I might become blessed. Well, you've got it backwards. You're blessed and thus you are a peacemaker. By the very nature of who you are as the children of God, you are peacemakers. You desire that which will help your neighbors to prosper as well as for you to find that sense of security and peace in your life. We have a dignity that is not granted to even the greatest royalty on earth. Go back through history as far as you wish. You will never find the kind of dignity we have as the children of God. We are truly a blessed people. But let us remember one more thing in closing. Peace is costly. If you think the business of peacemaking is going to be something that you go out and do and then you can go home comfortably and rest every night, and good, I took that two hours to make peace and now all is right with the world, uh, that, again, is not the way it works, and we know it because how is your peace given to you? How did you find the peace of heart and mind that makes you a peacemaker? Well, you found it because of something Jesus did. It is his work that makes us to be what God wants us to be and secures it at that. 
It is not just given and then God says, okay, you have new life. I hope you can keep it. No, God walks with us every step of the way to make sure that as wayward as we can be sometimes, as sinful and as callous towards the world and towards Him as we can be sometimes, He says, you're mine. And you will be to the end. And we see it proven time after time after time. The older we get, the more we see, you know, I am where I am today because God has kept me. Because I know, I know my heart is prone to wander. But there is a God who says, you may not. Because I have ordained that path that leads heavenwards and you will remain on it to the end. The work that God begins... God is faithful to complete in us. So it is not, first of all, a peace of mind, but a peace with God that makes our heart capable of reaching out to others as we should. Like every good gift, we find peace because of God's grace and God's grace alone. To God alone be the glory if we are the people who make peace in our neighborhood. Warring neighbors and somehow or another we are able to bring them together. We are able to speak words that instead of arousing anger in people, calms them so that they may see a common good we can aim for. That is the kind of thing that makes us to be those peacemakers who are a blessing to the world around us. Child of God, you are guaranteed it is your birthright to have peace and thus to be a peacemaker. God will ensure that you can do both. When you have found that peace, that peace that Christ alone can give, do something with it. Share it with others. If you have truly found peace with God, when you know you do not deserve it, I guarantee you it will make it easier for you to seek peace even with those who don't deserve it. It is so easy for us to say to ourselves, I'm sorry, they are so bad I don't want anything to do with them. It's easy to do that, is it not? But that is not us because it is not the way God treated us. And if we are to imitate God, then we will want to help even even those people that aggravate us sometimes just to see them. We are going to want to make peace because that is our Father's will for our life. May we bow in prayer. Our Father, we recognize and I don't know if it's harder in our day than in others, other days, but it is hard today not to see the anger and the bitterness that can sometimes even invade our own souls. Let us flee from such an evil as that. Let us not only seek peace for our own hearts, but let us, having found that in Christ, seek to bring it to others. You and you alone can grant such grace that enables us to do that, to be blessed and a blessing. And we ask for that grace this day. We pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In closing, let's take the Trinity hymn book and turn over to hymn 580, that familiar hymn in which we are reminded of the peace of God that comes.
when everything is well between us and our God, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows row, whatever my lot that has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I, I trust that we can sing this from the heart sincerely, that it is well with our souls this morning, and that even if we look at the last verse, we long for that day when it will be complete peace. We'll sit under the fig tree, as it were, and be at peace all day long. 580 in closing. If you're able, please stand with me as we sing.
thank you, brother, for opening the Word of God to us. If you would, you would step to the back and let people greet you. Um, we're just here in a minute. You're, you're welcome to stay for lunch, and then about 1.45 we'll gather together for the afternoon service around the Lord's table, so prepare your hearts for that as well. You are dismissed.